the woke industrial complex parallels ghosts of revolution past and what we can do to stop it. This is the New Resistance Podcast, Episode 7. Let's do this. I'm telling you, good citizens are turn to real concern and revolutionary citizens real soon. How do you feel about being complicit in perpetuating that? The greatest hoax ever perpetuated on the American people. And you're part of it. Now we're supposed to have unity. Let me tell you something. I'm part of the new resistance. on hey thank you for joining me once again on the new resistance podcast the outlet and voice for whistleblowers dissident conservatives and watchdogs of springfield and beyond where we're keeping our elite government in check and making their deaf ears ring with the truth now before we get started i want to remind you that any comments questions or suggestions can be emailed to B underscore NRP at yahoo.com or you can post a comment or two at the NR podcast on Facebook. Also, if you feel so inclined, I would encourage you to share this and every other episode with everyone you know. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please hit subscribe. That way you will be alerted whenever any new episodes or any other content is dropped. Coming up today, I want to talk about revolutions, two in particular, and the similarities they have to each other. One from back in the 1960s and thousands of miles away from here, the other happening in this country as we speak, both from the same ideology. If we don't know our history and heed its warnings, we are doomed to repeat it. Right now, We are repeating it, to an extent. Again, as I have many times before, I urge you not to just take my word for any of it, but do your own homework. First, have you heard about these emails of Fauci's that have been released? There's thousands of them by now. They're from last year when we were in the thick of the coronavirus charging through the United States. They reveal that Fauci was lying out his ears to us last year about a whole host of things surrounding our response to the virus. Many of those things, Republicans and the right, have been shouting from the rooftops about for over a year now and have been labeled the old standard conspiracy theorist for it. Why didn't Trump fire this little troll is beyond me. We went through mentally and emotionally crippling lockdowns and mask mandates, etc. for no reason. The emails also lend more credibility to the lab leak theory and that Fauci and others connected to him engaged in a cover-up of sorts, and kind of still are. 
They're covering up the fact that Fauci was the one who signed off on the grant money that ultimately wound up funding the very type of experiments, gain of function, that produced COVID-19 at the very lab for which it came, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. By the way, grant money equals our tax dollars. Remember that in the days and weeks ahead. I have a feeling there is a lot more information around this to come out. A lot already has that is just sickening and sinister. It just makes my freaking blood boil. And locally, this past week, at the Tuesday, June 1st Springfield City Council meeting, Michael Hasty and I went to speak in front of them about the crime problem in Springfield. Here is just some highlights. I'm here to address some comments that were made to the newsletter regarding crime from Councilman Schilling, stating that loud cars are the epidemic that's plaguing our city. And recently, Chief Williams also stated in an interview with KY3 that he feels Springfield is safe for its size. 15.32 people out of every 1,000 will be a victim of a violent crime in Springfield. Chief Williams also acknowledged that we had a record number of homicides last year. And assaults are through the roof, 11.25 per 1,000 people, while the national average is about 2.5. Burglary in Springfield is almost four times the national average at 12.34 per 1,000 people, and the national average is 3.41. So I'm here tonight not asking for anything. I'm demanding action from public servants, which are you guys. I have four little kids, ages three to nine, and I worry about the city that I'm raising my children in. Almost every one of you so often speak to caring about Springfield. We hear it every election season, every public appearance. Yet every year the crime gets worse. Uh, we're, all, we're always at the top of the most dangerous cities in, in Missouri and amongst the top in the nation of our size. In 2020, we were above the national average in murder, rape, burglary, vehicle theft, and among many other categories as well. Your, your chances of becoming a victim of violent crime is one in 65. Property crime, one in 13. But we're safe. Police have gotten a crap reputation over the past year, but I don't believe that is the only reason, or the main reason, we have such an officer shortage or, and such a horrible crime rate. I believe we have an upper management problem. And in 2008, 74% of Springfield citizens said they felt safe. I'm gonna go out on a whim and say that uh, that number is a lot lower today. Since Mr. Williams has been in charge, that number has only dropped lower and lower. It's time for him to go. I'm not sure who for sure is in charge of that, but if they can't, can't bring themselves to do it or refuse to do it, then I think they should go too. As you can see by the statistics that Springfield is not near as safe of a city as our leaders would have you believe. We are above the national average on some very major crimes. 
people do not feel very safe. And we're focused on loud vehicles and seatbelt violations. That's pretty alarming if you ask me. Paul Williams has been in the top spot at the police department since 2010. Things are not improving under his leadership. And to be fair, there are other contributing factors to the decline of our city, but I'm not buying that the bad name cops have gotten, unfairly mind you, over the past year is the only or the biggest reason. This has been going on way before George Floyd died. Chief Williams has made a lot of excuses and has had very little, if any, effective solutions. I have a lot of respect for any police officer who has stepped out there to protect us, but it is just time for Mr. Williams to resign or to be replaced. I believe it is the city manager, Jason Gage, that is in charge of that. And like I said in my address to the council, if he can't bring himself to or refuses to do it, well then he should go too. And anybody else on up the line. Here in the next couple of episodes, I'll be discussing this issue in particular in more detail. So stay tuned for that. And then to start the week off with some laughs, because hey, who couldn't use a little bit more of them these days, right? I've put together a little montage of Glenn Beck and his co-host Stu talking about the walking, talking comedy show that is Andrew Cuomo. I, I need the uh, we need the Sicilian theme every time we talk about Cuomo. I mean, it's agonizing. That guy is. Ju- I mean, it's a crime family. It is. It's a crime family. Yep. This uh, time we talk about the Cuomos. <laughs> yeah, you're confused. What are you doing? Asking me some questions here. You know the law. I want to close the school. I close the school. <laughs> That's the way it works around here. <laughs> that clip is endless. It's like oh eight my minutes long. Reporter is, but also explain the ridiculousness of his policy. And it's like I, I told you, you just go to the orange zone. If you're in the orange zone, if you're just in the orange zone, then they can close the schools. But if they go over three percent, they go out of the orange zone, and then the red zone kicks in, and then the red zone, and then they can close the school. But they had their own levels, and which it's, it's like incomprehensible what he's trying to say. Are you mocking me? <laughs> Sorry. Are you making fun of my voice? Is that what's happening here? Because I don't think that's what's happening here. <laughs> the voice, there is some combination between like ridiculous mobster and moron that he's combined there. And I can't put my finger on what exactly it is. Okay, it- okay, I got it. Are you... Uh, questioning me. <laughs> Let me tell you about the red zones. Andrew, are you here? <laughs> I, I, it's almost exact. <laughs> the, the school thing is is, oh. is interesting. Because-
sell everyone into their apartments, you can get it under 3%. Like, that's right. The, you know, unfortunately, now they've let the kids Listen out. to me. <laughs> all you got to do you li- <laughs> is kill all the old people. You just take the sickos that you don't want because they're freeloaders, and then you stick them in with all the old people, and bada-bing, it's da- done. <laughs> I can't. I cannot decipher you from Cuomo. It's such a good impression. I can't. It's so good. Look, I've read the reports from now his second accuser, and I look. They he's really creepy. However, is it worse than him killing five thousand people in nursing homes? Maybe not. Let me not. ask you a question. Mm-hmm. All right, let me ask you a question, Mister. I'm so fancy. Yeah. Did you did you not just say that feels like we're getting closer? Feels like we're getting closer. Mm-hmm. That's all that, that I was saying. Have a little bit of sausage and let's get a little closer. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised to hear that report out by the end of the week, frankly, the way this is going. Look, <laughs> all I'm saying is a lot of people don't know this about me. But I'm a part-time carpenter. So when I looked at her, I was thinking carpentry when I said, I'd like to nail that. (laughs) 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 Most of this is in the New York Times report on the incident. Most of this is in there. She said Mr. Cuomo asked her about her feelings about age differences in relationships. Just a random topic that came That's up. That's all I, as the governor, I've got to ask these things. It hurts me deeply, and I feel bad. Uh, how old are you? How do you feel about a relationship with, say, somebody uh, 64? Just pulling that number out of the air. By the way, she'll have the sausage. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, he said that uh, Cuomo said to the 25-year-old, you know, age doesn't. <laughs> it's just, it's so bad. So he, uh, 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 this isn't just ends with the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the odd, uncomfortable conversation. This ends with her reporting this to her superiors and her being a tra- transported to outer Siberia of the capital all the way on the other side of the building. I don't ever want to see her again. Yeah. <laughs> she said no. She That's said no. not right. She's out. She's out. <laughs> Can we kill her? No? All right. Can we make her uncomfortable? Put her in an igloo someplace. All right, good. Upstate New York she goes. I've changed my policy. Now only people under 22. (laughs) (laughs) You know that's coming. you like me, don't you? You, t- you do, you do. Uh, but he uh, he released a statement yesterday, yeah. Glenn, about this. Uh, and then he released... A, uh, that one didn't go over so well. Uh, so he released another statement. Really? Yeah. And then right. that second statement right. didn't go over so well. Really? So he released a third statement. The third statement. Third statement. Yeah. And then that third statement <laughs> right. didn't go over so well. So right. he released a fourth statement. So- Four statements! In a day. That's not the way you act if these things aren't true. It's not like, you know, he's sitting in the office. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Wait a minute. What I meant to say was, <laughs> did you see how she was dressed? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, not that statement. What I meant to say was, she wanted it. You know what I'm saying? She wanted it. <laughs> so, let's take a break. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I want to take a few seconds here and tell you about an app called Anchor. The easiest way to make a podcast. And it's free. And your episodes are automatically made available on most of the major podcasting platforms. Just go to your app store and download Anchor. Or go to anchor.fm. Faces, new faces I'm standing with the rank and file I'm marching with the underground Oh, my black heart worn on my sleeve I'm standing with the rank and file I'm marching with the underground With the black heart worn on my sleeve Alright! Welcome back. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I want to talk a little bit about revolutions. It's always the second generation that is truer and purer in its beliefs or ideologies than the first generation. Because, well, they've been weaned on the revolution. The true believers, the children of the revolution, will purge any heretics or suspected heretics. This is one reason why they always end up eating their own. One recent, recent as in historical terms, example that I want to talk about today is Mao Zedong's Cultural Revolution in China, which lasted from 1966 till 1976 when Mao died which saw students violently and grotesquely destroy anyone who deviated from Maoism. It started out with intellectuals, but of course didn't stay at that. It eventually spilled over into ordinary people. We are experiencing a revolution here in America as we speak that is very similar to this. It's happening not only in corporations, but in the media, across college campuses, in our high schools, in our elementary schools, in our churches, in places of employment, across our federal government. It has even seeped into Springfield in the public school system and our city government. By now, it is everywhere in society everywhere. 
It is being carried out by what a man named Chris Rufo of city-journal.org coined as the woke industrial complex. And there are many, many, many scary parallels to it and the cultural revolution, which I will point out in the next segment. But first, I want to go back and tell you a little bit about who Mao Zedong was. Some people have heard of him, but don't really know much about him. And some people have never heard of the guy at all. He first and foremost was the biggest mass murderer in world history. More people were killed under his rule and his direction than even Stalin or Hitler, either one. At least 50 million people. Some estimates have more. Mao was a part of the Chinese Nationalist Party called the Kuomintang until 1921 when he became one of the first members of the Chinese Communist Party. We also know it today as the CCP. He had learned a few years earlier about Lenin's successful Russian Revolution, which established the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, or USSR. He eventually adopted Lenin's ideas and came to believe that appealing to the peasants was the key to a communist Asia. He also eventually developed his own strong guerrilla army, and this is where he cut his teeth, so to speak, on torturing, executing any dissidents who defied the, quote, party law. One of the sayings that Mao is well known for is, quote, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun, end quote. Skip forward to the year 1956. Japan, who invaded China in 1937, has been defeated with the help of the Allied forces. China has been through a hellish civil war. Mao, who became the leader and established the People's Republic of China in 1949, Mao announces something called the Hundred Flowers Campaign, which was an opportunity that allowed and urged people to express their concerns with the Communist Party and about the, quote, reforms he and the CCP had put in place. They're not, not really what you would think of uh, positive reforms. They didn't go over well with intellectuals in the cities. He also encouraged them to put forth their own solutions. He actually told the people of China this was based on a supposedly famous expression of his that said, quote, The policy of letting a hundred flowers bloom and a hundred schools of thought contend is designed to promote the flourishing of the arts and the progress of science, end quote. Yeah, as, as you can imagine, that did not go well. Mao was reportedly expecting mild criticism 
and received overwhelming criticism of him, the CCP, and their ideology. Turns out, when you tell people to express their worries and that it's okay to criticize the government without fear of reprisal, which he also actually told them, they tend to kind of, how do you say, uh, let it rip. Of course, being a communist nutcase, Mao and the CCP unleashed an ideological crackdown on those who criticize the regime and its ideology. Now, why does that sound familiar, huh? Hmm. Anyways, citizens were rounded up by the hundreds of thousands and condemned to the Chinese gulags for re-education through hard labor or even execution. The crackdown spawned a movement called the Anti-Rightist Movement. It also served as a reminder to intellectuals and citizens in general to think twice and then a few more times about criticizing Mao or the CCP ever again. Then in January 1958, Mao Zedong launches his Great Leap Forward in an attempt to turn China from a predominantly farming society to a modern industrial society in five years. Can you guess how this went? Millions were forced onto communes where everything was done by and for the collective. Everything. Some were sent to farms where successful tea fields were turned into rice fields. Because of a reliance on horrible, horrible Soviet farming strategies, countless acres of farmland was ruined. Others were forced into small manufacturing. Some of those forced into it were tea farmers, those who actually knew how to farm. While also encouraged to become backyard smelters, supposedly to free China from the need to import steel and machinery. This, this guy's intelligence is really coming out now. They were given quotas. In desperation, people would melt down their own pots, pans, and farm equipment. But with no metalworking training, much of the metal the people produced was completely worthless. So it was a big waste of time. At first, there were promising accounts of huge harvest and overwhelming advancement. That's the uh, CCP propaganda machine at work there. But within a year, that would prove to be oh so false. The worst man-made famine in history set in. 
between 1959 and 1967, an estimated 48 million people died. Largely from starvation, but a few million of them died from other unnecessary reasons, including suicide. I believe I read there was 2 million or so that died from suicide alone. It was supposed to last for five years, the Great Leap Forward, but was called off after three disastrous years. Oh geez, I wonder why. In 1962, Mao was quietly pushed aside as leader of China and the CCP. However, believe it or not, his depravity, viciousness, and violence was not done yet. Now, while out of power, Mao's discontent and anger began to build and build. He believed the current communist leaders were taking both the country and the party that he had built in the wrong direction that CCP leadership were leaning like the Soviets were at the time much too far in a revisionist direction with an emphasis on expertise over purity. So at a gathering at the Yangtze River in May of 1966 73-year-old Mao swam across the river as a way of showing his rivals that he was back. Apparently, he had swam across this river a couple of times before, uh, ten years before, and which was coincidentally right before the Great Leap Forward. So there were media reports wondering and worrying what was coming next when Mao showed up swimming across this same river. And boy, were they right. Also, his closest aides would hold rallies where thousands of young students and supporters would attend. Remember, it had only been a few short years since the Great Leap Forward disaster had ended, and he had been pushed out of power. But Mao calculated correctly, I might add, that the young wouldn't remember the terrible famine that was created as a result of his Great Leap Forward. He and his aides and the people around him did such a good job in the propaganda department that these young people essentially didn't care that tens of millions of Chinese had died of starvation and suicide, etc. Because of this guy's policies! Forty-something million people had thus died! Ten years before! Though not officially launched till August, the Cultural Revolution commenced in spirit on May 16, 1966, when Mao published a letter indicting a number of party leaders 
and later that month endorsed a big poster that a professor by the name of Ni Yuanzi put up at Peking University, attacking the college president and others at the college as bourgeoisie reactionaries. It was a classic autocratic power grab. Mao created a crisis that of course only he could solve. That only he could bring China through. Seems like we might have a president who might kind of sound like he's trying to do that. I don't know. He told followers that the bourgeoisie elements were aiming to restore capitalism in China. He declared that they must be removed from society. He urged the population to rid itself of the, quote, four olds, old customs, old manners, old shrines, and old beliefs. He called on the youth of China to purge impure elements and revive the revolutionary spirit that had won the Civil War 20 years prior. Young men and women, high school and college aged, 14 to 21 or older, formed mobs called Red Guards. They would go from town to town completely laying waste to everything and anyone associated with the four olds. Those with no real place or ties to society also joined in. Any prominent person, leader, teacher, doctor, artist or writer, party official, fathers, the elderly were targeted. They were dragged out and targeted. The number one enemy being the intellectuals. They were unimaginably brutal. Professors were dressed in grotesque clothing and dunce caps. Their faces smeared with ink. They were forced to get down on all fours and bark like dogs. Some were even beaten to death, even eaten. That's right, they were eaten. All for the promulgation of Maoism. Mao was eventually elevated once again to power. Once back in charge, he closed all schools. Young intellectuals in the cities were sent countryside for re-education or hard labor. Citizens were also forced to carry with them everywhere their copy of The Little Red Book, which was a book full of Mao's quotes and sayings that was printed in the early stages of the revolution to boost his enormous cult of personality. It is still enormous today. Government virtually shut down whole regions and traditional activities. Sound familiar? Chaos reigned in China. Still sound familiar? Any, quote, oppressed, deviant, or minority was elevated. And no, I'm not saying every minority or person with a different color of skin than I is a deviant. Before you tattletales even start with it. 
The Cultural Revolution destroyed the education system, leveled cities, tore down ancient shrines and statues, tortured, imprisoned, and executed anyone, anyone, associated with the old China. With those four olds, anybody caught with eyeglasses on were arrested. It showed they were tied to the past, that they could read. Industry, transportation, as I said, education, entertainment, art, language, writing, were all just decimated. There were millions killed, and many millions suffered imprisonment, the seizure of property, torture, or general humiliation. The tormented and violent legacy resonated in China for decades. I'll be right back in a few moments. telecast with an emergency address from President Harris of the United Global Alliance. In a few minutes, the state will have justice. Let this stand as a warning to every man, woman, and child. Diversity of thought will not be tolerated. The reign of terror ends today. Our truth is the only truth. Okay, we are back, and you are listening to the New Resistance Podcast. By the way, could you just imagine something like that happening, coming out over every radio, phone, TV, computer, someday? That would just be eerie. If we don't come together and stop this woke revolution on top of the Great Reset happening, it just opens the door for things similar to this to happen. Anyways, back at hand. Back to the point at hand. Oh. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions about the show, or any of the content I present, or any topic you'd like to hear about, just go ahead and email the underscore nrp at yahoo.com, or leave a post on the nr podcast at Facebook. Okay. A man named James Baldwin once wrote, quote, Nobody is more dangerous than he who imagines himself pure at heart, for his purity, by definition, is unassailable. End quote. This has been confirmed over and over throughout history. 
However, the Cultural Revolution in China is perhaps the starkest example of just how incredibly dangerous the pure in heart can be. In an article from Quillette.com, the writer James David Banker talks about how the brutality of the young mobs, the Red Guards, was accelerated by working groups of ideologues who were sent into the schools. Schools became centers of activism rather than learning, much like our school systems are being turned into today, right? Even here in Springfield. Listen to this. Students were encouraged to expose their own teachers, officials, and even their parents. The accused, what sounds eerily familiar here, were humiliated in daily struggle sessions in which they were interrogated and confessions were demanded of them. Anti-racism training sessions, be less white training sessions, sound familiar? The viciousness of these sessions rapidly intensified in horrific ways. In one case, a biology professor was forced by the students running the session to stare at the sun with wide open eyes. If he blinked or looked away, they beat him. Some teachers were also beat to death with sticks and belt buckles. He then says this about the use of public education to revolutionize students. It's actually a really clever, smart tactic, if this is what you're going to do. Quote, Mao's decision to use China's youth as his vanguard was, by fortune or foresight, instrumental to the revolution's initial success. The young may be pure in heart, but... They're also high on emotion and short on life experience. Simply put, they are natural Philistines. Still in their identity-forming years, China's young have few barriers to a complete identification with the Red Guards. Conformity and intolerance of dissent followed naturally. End quote. When the students weren't at rallies or struggle sessions, they spent endless hours studying Mao's Little Red Book, which was a book of Mao's quotes and sayings that eventually every Chinese citizen was required to have. Millions of copies were printed somewhere in the time between 1962 and 1966 in order to bolster his cult of personality, as I said before. With undeveloped mental immunity, young men and women's minds were, and are still obviously, fertile grounds for Mao's Manichaeism, which is a religion and school of thought that reduces society to nothing but a simple dichotomy. You know, 
white, dark, good and evil, right and wrong, radical and reactionary. The saying, there is no middle way, became quite popular at the time. It is also, as many of you have most likely seen, very prevalent in the Democrat Party of today, as well as the leftists, especially the BLM Antifa types, running and trying to run anyways, roughshod over the whole country. This saying, this slogan, is also quite obviously pretty popular within the Biden administration as well. I have a feeling that the more bills and initiatives that the Republicans can effectively spoil, the more this no middle way, no compromise way of thinking will come to the surface and the more we will see those autocratic tendencies Biden and those around him obviously harbor. Anyways, 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 back on track here. So, even though ideologies and lines of thinking like these that we've been discussing here are intellectually and morally bankrupt, they do, however, possess a simplicity and certainty that are very alluring to young people, especially young people. And what has allowed Mao's children of the revolution with youthful exuberance and clarity of purpose to chain a teacher to a radiator and beat him to death with an iron bar or force a teacher to eat nails and poop among other unimaginable despicable tortures it has also given the leftist radicals disruptors of the past few years permission to pull off some of the brazen things they have done. Antifa setting buildings on fire with people still inside. BLM holding innocent outdoor diners hostage while they yell and scream in their faces. Or protesting outside a public official's house which, in and of itself, I'm not opposed to, as long as it's done on the sidewalk or the road, and you don't act like total jackasses. Which is what happened in the incidents I'm talking about here. Anyways, protesting outside a public official's house at 2 in the morning and shining spotlights in their windows and yelling for them to come outside on a megaphone. There are many, many other modern-day examples. So, eating human flesh became a proof of loyalty. The CCP's own investigations tell of students in one particular province in southern China, I believe it was, cooking and eating their teachers and principals. In some government cafeterias, the bodies of executed traitors were displayed on meat hooks while their flesh was served and consumed. Apparently, the mental immunity can also be a dark, dark, sick abyss as well. 
are you seeing what this kind of movement and propaganda and rhetoric and hatred can bring people to do? This is some sick stuff. These kids were sick and brainwashed. There is a cultural revolution going on today that is making monsters and useful idiots out of young people in this country. Now, American students aren't cooking and eating people yet, but they have begun this phase of figurative cannibalism or eating their own. Tearing through your enemies at some point just isn't enough anymore. I'm frankly surprised it kicked into high gear this soon. One example of this phase in the woke revolution is in the media. The very media outlets that have been on the front lines pushing leftism and wokeism and have encouraged and egged on and ran cover for BLM and Antifa to riot and loot their way across the country. The first one that comes to mind with the media is the Tom Cotton op-ed New York Times fit-throwing. Remember this? The old guard still had, although very small, somewhat of a residual sense that there should be, amongst their opinion pages, a certain amount of diversity of thought being shown. So they invited Senator Tom Cotton to write a piece about calling National Guard troops to put down the rioting and looting that raged all across the country's major cities at the time. Oh boy! Did that ever stir up a firestorm of a fit, if you remember. The young know-it-all staffers who were indoctrinated to believe that mere words and thoughts that do not line up 100% with theirs will forever hurt and scare them. If you could see my eyes, I am got the biggest eye roll going on. They argued that by urging Trump to use the National Guard to quiet things down, which had been used by other presidents and governors before many times, Mr. Cotton had staged some sort of rebellion of sorts. I'm not sure how that is, but anyways. That, I guess, would supposedly cause them and other fit-throwers irreparable harm. Some even made the just ludicrous claim that the op-ed was fascist. Not quite sure how it was, but what do I know? I'm just a dumb white college dropout. As you can imagine, management caved to the pressure and cowardly hid behind a smear job of the senator to save face. Surprise, surprise. There are many, many others within the media world. However, the woke industrial complex actually got one of their first well-known scalps on a college campus. This didn't technically start with the cotton piece. It has since infected college and K-12 schools, newsrooms, churches, 
corporate boardrooms, Hollywood, government agencies, you name it. Their very first big one was actually back in 2017 at Evergreen State College with a man named Brett Weinstein. The college had, for a while, had this day of absence where students and faculty of color would... It was basically a skip day, is what it was. Everyone remember skip day as a senior in high school? I remember what I did. Not to be repeated. Anyways, in 2017, they decided it was white students who would be leaving. Weinstein sent the faculty an email stating he was uncomfortable with one group more or less forcing another group to leave. That it was a, quote, show of force and an act of oppression in and of itself, end quote. Oh, the leftists didn't like that. Protests and violence spread through the college. They were calling for his job, etc. He got into altercations with protesters when defending himself. I believe he was on Tucker Carlson's show when that happened, and they showed footage of that. Eventually, he and his wife ended up resigning. The kicker is that Weinstein was and still is today as leftist and progressive as you could be. He was incredibly sympathetic to their cause. He was part of Occupy Wall Street. But that wasn't good enough to save him. It never is. In closing, America's little Maoist fit throwers, good little Marxists they are, while also terrorizing and canceling anyone not of their ideology, old ideas, tearing down our statues, old culture, and destroying the rest of their four olds, are dethroning their mentors, those that came before them, is itself a symbolic cannibalism. Even so, most of those old guard still will not renounce their leftism or wokeism. Instead, they make absolute fools of themselves. Let's be completely honest. There are many of this caliber of fool on the right as well. They humiliate themselves by apologizing for their supposed sins of ideological impurities or for being born with the skin color of the oppressors or for saying things that everyone else in their right freaking minds knows is not controversial. Forever marinating in the hope they will someday be welcomed back or will be accepted back into the good graces of the left when that will never happen, permanently at least. You see, folks, apologizing to the woke is seen as weakness, not virtuous. There is no forgiveness in woke culture. None.
Let's take a break. I'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to the New Resistance Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Lisa Meeks. Hope you're having a blessed day. Stay informed by listening to the New Resistance Podcast. See ya! guys i wanted to take a few minutes here and tell you about what's coming up on the show and tell you about a few local groups that are really engaging in the good fight and i would like you to know about them so that you too can have the opportunity to get involved some of the topics that i am wanting to cover coming up next week i will be tackling critical race theory where it came from originally what it actually is, and why is it being denied that it is being taught in schools. I will also be covering what really happened on January 6th and some of the infuriating behavior of the Biden administration and the Democrat Party ever since in the coming weeks. I also have a couple of episodes coming up that are just strictly local, Springfield-focused. I'm really looking forward to it. And also, there are three local groups that I am really stoked to tell you about today. The first one is called Queen City Watchdog. It is, as the name suggests, a government watchdog whose main objectives are to keep the city and the county government in check and to remind them that they work for us while also educating the public on what is going on with our government in the hopes of raising the voter turnout levels in our local elections. It is the brainchild of Michael Hasty, who ran for General Seat B in the latest local election back in April. You can find out more about Queen City Watchdog on Facebook at The Queen City Watchdog and at their website, www.queencitywatchdog.com The second group is called Lemons to Lemonade. This is my friend Lisa Meeks' group. It was started in order to, as the website says, quote, bring all of the people of Springfield together to try to improve our city, end quote. What she's talking about is bringing people together on a more personal level. She's going all around town and putting on a fun gathering at the city's parks and getting people and their neighbors to gather and fellowship and educate the people of that particular neighborhood and part of town 
about what is happening in Springfield and talk about what their needs are and hopefully figure out some solutions to meet those needs between the people in that area, in that neighborhood. Now you can learn more about Women's to Lemonade on Facebook at Women's to Lemonade and on their website Women's to Lemonade Springfield.org. The third group I want to tell you about is called Back on Track or Back on Track America. Right now, at least, their big focus seems to be fighting the school board on forcing CRT or critical race theory into our school system here. I am hoping to have Valerie or somebody from that group on the show sometime in the near future to tell us more about their group. Seems pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to it. For now, you can learn more about Back on Track on Facebook at Back on Track America. And you can go to their website, which is www.backontrackamerica.org. I am hoping really soon to have Hasty, Lisa, and someone from Back on Track on the show so that you can hear from the source what their groups are all about. All right, let's take a breather. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Michael Hasty, and you're listening to the New Resistance Podcast. Thank you, and tune in again. See ya! a sizable fear by some that we as a society have let this go way too far this time. The no middle ground woke virus has penetrated every aspect of our society and almost every institution in this country. The last standing was perceived to be the United States military and sadly Over the past six months, it has become very apparent that every branch of the military in the Pentagon has been sucked in and is being destroyed from within. I don't think I even need to tell you how heartbreaking that is to watch, as our armed forces and intelligence community has been reduced to animated ads speaking about attributes that have nothing to do with the role of the military or the CIA, etc. It's dangerous. It's going to get people killed. That's what it's going to do. 
This isn't about free speech, unity, George Floyd, systemic racism, diversity and inclusion, equity, or any other person thing they try to beat us over the head with. This is about a breakdown in basic logic of our civilization. It is continuing to further jeopardize our ability to continue to function as a free society, as a free people, as a free America. And it is working almost exactly how it was intended. It's sad to say it is working almost perfectly. Almost. We must fight this American cultural revolution, this woke revolution, with everything we have. We have to fight them wherever they are. And we have to use every single tactic that lies within our principles. We must not be afraid to fight the left using their own game, their own tactics, to an extent against them. I'm obviously not talking about the illegal or the violent stuff. We don't need either one of those things. They hold nothing back to destroy this country and destroy us. Why on God's green earth should we hold anything back to save it and us? and our families and let's stop pretending that this we all want the same thing we just disagree on how to get their stuff is at all true that is a lie that is a complete lie and it always has been wake up Springfield when they start putting forth Things like the 1619 Project, the book White Fragility, has legitimate history and legitimate writings to live by. They don't want the same things as us. When they put up Joe Biden as their president with his actual racist past, they don't want the same things. When they start teaching CRT in our schools, they don't want the same thing. When they start talking about rounding up and shipping off for re-education, those of us not in line with their ideology because of what we look like or who we voted for, they don't want diversity. They don't want every voice to be heard. They want compliance. They want 100% compliance. Remember, there's no middle way. We have to stand up together. Just as boldly and as loudly as they do. And say this stops now. Enough! We are good, caring people. You do not get to run all over us anymore. Not for a second longer. We have to have courage, boldness, bravery, strength, and perseverance. This is not going to be a short one. The leftists are dug in deep. That means we also have to dig in our heels and stand our ground.
that could only be accomplished by standing together. Even if it is sometimes with someone who we may not agree 100% with. But, to close this episode, I will tell you that the woke revolution is hurting all kinds of people all up and down the spectrum. Remember, they are eating their own now. And not all of their targets are content with becoming professional apologizers. They are being left out on their own. That's something we on the right, especially we conservatives, know a little something about being disliked by both the other party and our own party at the same time. Just think about that. I'm not saying we have to open our arms to just anybody and everybody just because they've been canceled. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just asking you to open your mind beyond your own ideology. I am so thankful you are here as a member of this audience. Don't forget to go check out the show's Facebook page at the NR Podcast and leave a post or comment. Let me know what you think of the show thus far, good or bad. All feedback is useful. As a reminder, check out all of the past episodes on anchor.fm slash pxpx. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, I strongly encourage you to hit subscribe so that you can automatically be alerted when a new episode is released. Also, if you're so inclined, leave a review or rating. Maybe a five-star rating. Until next time, Springfield, my name is Seth, and this is the New Resistance Podcast. See ya!